Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is Future Classics. Hello everybody, I'm Brett Stewart. Joining me on this lovely evening, David Luzader, how are you? I'm forgetting that I muted myself. Uh, I am doing well. Uh, just coming off of a hot set of an open mic. So, you know, I'm here. I'm feeling great about myself. Oh, there you go. Right on. How, how was your set? It went really well. It, uh, it was my first time getting on stage in like a month because I've been traveling and all that and we're busy with work. So happy to be back on that wagon. Right on. Very good. Joining us as well, Nicole Davis. How are you? I'm terrible, but thank you. Uh, no, that's, that's an exaggeration. You're a little I've down with the sickness. Like, yeah, I'm down with the sickness. So I'm just going to muscle through as best as I can with my uh, my red tea and my distracting cat and uh, my manky zombie eye. Is there so, something about this time of year that does it to people? Like half my office is sick. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had a coworker that had the call out of work today because his daycare canceled daycare for the kids because all the adults were sick. Oh no. So they had no button to watch the kids. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, and then he, <laughs> just so many sick people. Uh, but this week we're watching future classic movies or that we think is a future classic. Uh, this is the opportunity for one of the co-hosts to pick a movie that's come out in the last 10 years that we deem is going to be a future classic in some capacity. Of course, you're open to deeming what kind of classic. If you think it's going to be very niche, like I did with attack the block or something like that. Uh, in this case, this week, David picked the movie, but before we go into David's pick, I do want to announce next week's pick. Uh, that way folks can watch along if they'd like to next week is around the world. Uh, that is just any international film. It can't have been made mm -hmm. in the U S and that is Nicole's pick. Nicole, what are we watching? Tis. Um, I have been resisting um, choosing east asian movies uh just because they they seem to come up a fair amount on our netflix roulette um but i realized that the around the world list i've compiled is about 80 percent movies from korea japan or china um so i'm just gonna have to go with it and stop resisting and do something really fun next week uh when we will be watching <laughs> train to busan i knew it i knew it <laughs> 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 I have heard this is what I've heard of. I usually haven't heard of them, but I have heard many people say like this is the zombie movie you need to see. Yeah. Regardless of the fact that like it's a good international zombie film, people just say it's one of the best zombie films that come out in a very long time. This is the zombie movie I got dragged to when I kept telling people I don't I'm tired of them I just I'm I'm out I'm done with zombies I can't take it anymore they're so worn out they're so tired and I went to see this movie and I'm like oh my god that was amazing <laughs> so I can't wait I'm really excited to see this all right well 2016's Train the Busan that's what we're watching next week but this week we watched 2012's Looper this was a pick from David uh, in 2074, time travel will have been invented, but it'll be illegal and only available on the black market. When the mob wants to get rid of someone, they send their target 30 years into the past where a looper, a hired gun, 
like Joe, is waiting to mob to mop up. I thought I said mob up. He's waiting to mob up, guys. Mop up the bad guys. Joe is getting rich and life is good until the day the mob decides to close the loop, sending Joe uh, future self back to assassin. They send Joe to assassinate Joe, <laughs> yep. uh, sending back Joe's future self for assassination. Oh, wow. This movie's got a lot of layers right off the bat, right? Yep. A lot of layers. Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely had to pause it and hammer this movie out in my head a couple times before oh, continuing. Dude. Wait till we get to primer. Oh, <laughs> God, no. God, no. I recently watched a video that explains primer, and it was half the length of the movie. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, David, why we are watching 2012's Looper and why you believe it is a future classic. So this is a movie that maybe this is my wishful thinking that it'll be on everybody's list. Like that movie's a classic. It, I think it will possibly have uh, a place in, in all of our hearts in the same way that Jackie Brown does, where uh, if Tarantino didn't go on and do these movies that were everywhere, we would never really talk about or know Jackie Brown. I feel like, uh, so I feel like this movie and Jackie Brown's a great movie. We talked about it on, I, uh, was it on this podcast? I believe it was on this podcast. Yes. New yeah. to two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, that I, you know, I think that this movie will be a great movie that because it is Ryan Johnson who, uh, will have a great career who ahead of him, people are going to be like, Hey man, have you ever, yeah, have you ever seen Looper? Um, I wish brick was the same way, but, uh, what are you gonna do? Uh, also, because I remember reading and I pulled up the AMA from uh, from Tom Hanks. It's an Ask Me Anything on Reddit. And someone asked him, in 2013, what's your favorite movie you didn't act in? And he said, recently, Looper. And Das Boot, the director's cut. Uh, but I just I was very surprised that Tom Hanks loved Looper. Now and I'm just picturing Tom Hanks as old Joe. And <laughs> it's such a different movie. I can't. It, it, it. Yes, Colin Hanks is young Joe. But also, yeah. oh my God, <laughs> I would I would watch that movie. I uh, would totally watch that movie, David. Go on. But this is like one of the few movies of recent memory that I have seen multiple times in theater. You know, I, I liked it so much that I had to go see it again and watching it again. This time, just being reminded of like, oh yeah, there's a reason I saw this more than once in a theater. I just think it is a great movie. That because Ryan Johnson uh, has is going to be doing some great things, that it will uh, it will cement itself as that maybe a little more lesser known Ryan Johnson film that some people are going to love in a cult classic kind of way. And I think it's amazing that when you look at Ryan Johnson's filmography, he does Looper, twenty twelve, does a couple Breaking Bad episodes. And then just jumps into the last Jedi. Now, granted, he was he was editing. It looks like he was editing some stuff in between. Then he wrote some stuff. Actually, yeah, he wrote a little bit of TV, but that's about it. Yeah, he made Brick in was it two thousand five or two thousand seven? Brick was oh five. Yeah, Br uh, Brothers Bloom in two thousand eight. Okay. I mean, he is you know he, he sure he's only made a few movies, but he's really like he did the thing that you're supposed to do, where it's like, all right, do an indie movie that does you know people really like, do a slightly bigger indie movie that people really like. A studio takes a gamble on you with Looper, it's successful, people like it. All right, here's a Star Wars movie. <laughs> he even kind of looks like Tarantino. <laughs> like, uh, no, 
I think so. A little bit. They're, no. Both of them have like the five head. <laughs> Sorry, the what? <laughs> like where their forehead is so big, it just the number four couldn't fit on it. It has to be five. Yeah, <laughs> all right. You guys can't see the face right now, but it's very puzzled. It's bigger than a forehead. What's bigger than four? Oh, five. Oh. It's a five head. Oh, it's a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, but no. It, I I suppose Tarantino's not a great analog, but but David's totally right. He did take that trajectory to eventually not only being given a Star Wars movie, but being given his entire own Star Wars trilogy after the current Star Wars trilogy is done. So Disney has placed quite a bit of faith in him. Yes. We haven't heard anything about that in a long time. Uh, But, you know, gotta love Ryan Johnson for also directing the most controversial Star Wars film of all time. Let's not make this a Last Jedi podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll I'll refrain. I happen to like it. I love it. I, I'll be it's on my future classics list. I'll say that now. <laughs> All right. All righty. So we're going to get some emails on that one. But let's talk about Looper that we're discussing right now before he would go on uh, to ruin your childhood. So uh, the problems with time travel and how movies solve them. Uh, Nicole put this in our docket. And yeah, this movie, I thought. Approach time travel in a, in a much different way than I've seen movies in the past do it, which is why I would right off the bat be inclined to put, separate it from other contemporary science fiction films because there are new ideas here that I haven't seen. And I'm always really excited when I see that. Hmm. Okay. What? Well, there are. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to ask Brett what new ideas, but uh-huh. for me, the new idea is the construction of using time travel, I guess it's more of these, the nitty gritty specifics. It's like the construction of utilizing time travel to uh, get rid of bodies, oh, yeah, that's, which, super yeah, which, which are then uh, handled by these loopers, which uh, Joseph Gordon babyface plays. I'm sorry. He look. it's like a seven year old's face on a man's body. Um, oh. I'll get into that later. Uh, I do love him though, but he plays one of these loopers and they are tasked with going and, and killing these people the moment they land back in the past. And that then locks them into this mortal contract of then eventually having to kill themselves, but their old future selves. And yeah, we've seen time travel and the implications of it. And like, oh my God, he disappears. Like, yeah, we I've seen Back to the Future, but I've never seen like the way this movie spins time travel as a device to push the mobs dead bodies around okay it's pretty rad it is pretty rad i agree yeah this this movie i i watched all the i have the blu-ray and i watched all the special features for this uh, and there are a couple of shorts and one of them is about time travel in general and they bring in a physicist and talk to him and um but for this film there were six rules of time travel uh, one time travel cannot be adjusted it is you know 30 years and a certain number of months, weeks, days, hours. Um, Two, time travel is a one-way ticket. Mm. You go back to the past, that's it. Uh, Three, both versions of you can exist. Uh, Four, time travel is illegal. Five, you can communicate across time, um, for example, by carving a message into your own body. 
Uh, and six, the future has infinite possibilities. So mm. it is not set and you can alter your future self's future by doing something different in the past. Yes. Yeah, that's... Uh, all right. We're going to talk about the time travel in this movie because this is a movie where, for people who haven't seen it, good God, what are you doing? Um, <laughs> this is one of those shows where you really should just back up. You're going to yeah. be confused the whole way. Yeah, Rent the, it on Amazon. Yeah, because it is a, it is a movie where, uh, that in the time travel, you can... Ch- well, what happens in the present immediately affects the future as you know, as we see, if you remove your current self's finger, your future self's finger disappears, but it establishes this rule of, Oh boy, it gets so crazy because like there's parts of it that start to not kind of make sense in the way, like when you remove your future self's arm or like their legs, they do to one character. It's like, well, that doesn't really work because they've been using their legs this entire time. Uh, but it's creating this branching possibility that's also converging onto this one possibility. It gets, uh, it, it makes the head <laughs> to hurt after a while. That's why I love Bruce Willis has a line in this movie. Like we could be sitting here talking about time travel all day and 30 minutes of making diagrams with straws. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what's great about this movie to me in regard to the time travel. It never plays on the cliche of, like, I'm so glad that Bruce Willis's character never sees a fading wife in a locket, okay? Um, you don't need the fading wife. He kind of uh, had a moment, though. He's, you know, he's like, uh, the first time I saw her face, the first time I saw her Sure, face. sure. I'm just talking about, like, the, the Back to the Future aesthetic. Um, I'm talking about, like, the tropes that this movie just tiptoes around enough. And, like, that's the way they did it, right? Instead, it's just him focusing on the moment when he first saw his wife, because as his younger self rewrites his his past, there's a possibility that he will not meet his wife. And this movie does that so well. Like, there's never one moment where they're like, if you kill somebody in the past, they won't be born in the future. Like, we've had that a million times. And we, we don't really, I mean, actually, I take that back. That's actually the whole premise of the movie. I'm an idiot. Well, um, <laughs> okay, I, they never, like, I don't know how this, it's never cheesy is what I'm getting at. It's never cheesy. It's It's not Terminator 2, which this movie does kind of feel Terminator 2-y. A little bit, a little bit in that you're, you're trying to, you know, find a kid who becomes more powerful in the future. Um, But I mean, Ryan Johnson wanted to keep this as simple as he could. Yeah. You know, he wanted to have a, a sci-fi element to the story, but he wanted to focus more on how would how would time travel, how would it affect people's characters? What would that do to their lives and their choices? And how would that play out dramatically? Yeah, this is much more, the, the sci-fi trappings of it, the time travel are the setting for the story that he wanted to tell, um, which is like very sci-fi-y in nature when you have somebody, you know, chasing down their future self to kill him. Um, but he doesn't make it about the time travel. He makes it about that conflict and has these two characters who are the same person be very different people with very different motivations. And it works. It really works. Uh, which 
so many other movies that we would have watched on our previous podcast, it would not have worked. <laughs> yeah. About the time, the solution would have been more time travel. <laughs> well, I'm glad you brought up the trappings of science fiction and how the movie does not just lay on them as a crutch. Because in addition to the trapping of time travel and just time travel, um, there's a lot of science fictiony stuff in this movie that just is kind of on the outskirts of it, right? Like, like we see just enough of this post-apocalyptic city, unnamed city, to know that life's very backwards in the year 2044. Uh, we see little things like you can now, we've now purposed our drones to do all of like the fertilizing of our crops. And that might already be happening, honestly, but it looks really cool. Like in this movie, there are, there's, there's a bouncer at a club that has a little laser gadget that like scans people. He's not using a, a paddle. <laughs> um, right. It doesn't get bogged down in what could 30 years from now be like um, one of my, yeah, one of my favorite, very simple. Yeah. One of my favorite of those things is, well, first of all, all the cars are like old cars that have been retrofitted to run in this new era um, we just have like one hover glider thingy right and we don't even see it work till the very end right it doesn't work for most like, like it is like okay we're at this cusp now where this is starting to become a thing but it's super unreliable you know it's like this is first gen of that where usually if a movie's like oh we're in the future we have hover bikes now and they just work i love that they showed us like okay here's like the first iteration of hover bikes right. it's like right. the first gen segue yeah. <laughs> Did the segue really expand beyond the first gen segue? Much of a second gen or third gen segue. It was just the uh the, the ones that are rolling across uh tours and cities. There's like the right. long there's like the big mall cop ones, the ones that have like the giant base. I okay. Um Paul Blart Mall Yeah. <laughs> Paul Blart Mall Cop, future classic. Uh yeah. but no, I, I love that about this movie because that's one of my favorite things in science fiction movies that happen in time that's like close enough to where we will eventually be living in 2044 that it doesn't go over the top because it's really easy to do. Right. I imagine it's really easy to not have the restraint that Ryan Johnson exhibits when creating a futuristic world. Well, he also didn't have the budget for changing everything. Also didn't have the budget. That's true. But I mean, I, d I do also really appreciate that. I think it helps keep it from looking too dated and if you stop and think about it, you know, 30 years in the past was, Oh God, 1989. And it didn't look outside of fashion and hairstyles. It didn't look all that different from today, except for the vast multiplication of computers and computing devices and smartphones. Yeah. That's I, pretty much the, the biggest differences. I, uh, there's a, there's a television show that many people probably enjoy, uh, parks and rec. And in Parks and Rec, in their last season, they jump ahead like three years. But they suppose this, like they show this world where everybody's phone is a piece of glass. I think it took place in 2017 or 2018. No, uh, it's, it's 2019. I'm actually watching that right now. Is it 2019? Yeah. The last season is? Oh, it's thought... like 2017 to 2019. Oh, right. Well, oh, yeah, they're like around a little bit, but grizzle hologram phones. Yeah. Using those these like it's a piece of glass and like oh all the images like project off of it like a hologram and it's so science like science fiction it's like this isn't even close to what we were 
at two years later when this show was like, oh, we're two years in the future, where I feel like Looper has a much more realistic view of like, eh, in about when this movie came out, like in about 30 years, this is about where we're going to be at. You know, things are going to look mostly the same, but yeah, there'll be some little cool sci-fi tech here and there, but you're still going to be driving cars and your life's not going to look that much different. Right. Though the one thing I will... Yeah. Right. Though the one thing I will say... Do drugs, though. Uh, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, the eye marijuana. Um, God knows what that stuff does to you. So really messes you up, apparently. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, the, the one thing that did seem like a little bit of a stretch, but I'm willing to just accept it as part of this world's reality. Time travel. Is I, well, <laughs> is I no, I do want to know how uh like there there is a post-apocalyptic not post-apocalyptic but there is this futuristic landscape dystopian? of dystopian that's a better word there is this okay. dystopian landscape of people who are just these roaming vagrants in tent cities that are run entirely by cities owned by the future mob that seems i would have loved to have got a little little bit deeper into that that's- i understand why the movie doesn't um that's play- it was cool though yeah, that's playing into some Ryan Johnson-y stuff there. Um, Where is the government? Like, like what happened? Uh, Brett, I'm, I'm imagining I, Nicole. You've seen Brick, right? I'm pretty nice. I have. Yeah, I have not. Brett, you got you should you should watch Brick. I'll, if I can find a way to bring it into the show, I definitely will. Uh, but that movie is all about. You'll have sort of similar questions of like, there are mobs in this high school. Like, what <laughs> Right, uh, that's why I'm willing to suspend that belief of of sure this turned into this. And also the, the other thing I'll I'll argue is that we never really get a country. I mean, I, I mean it's 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 in United States. It's in the United States, I suppose, but we never really get a place yeah. or anything like that. It seems it's, like this New Orleans. Is, is it New Orleans? Yeah. Oh, wow. I think it's New Orleans. Really? Yeah. It's definitely Louisiana. They shot in Louisiana. Oh, uh, oh no! Sorry, uh, it's Kansas City. Oh, is that what it's supposed to be? Twenty five. Okay. In twenty forty four, twenty five year old uh, Joe works for a Kansas City crime syndicate. Oh, gotcha. okay. All righty. Well, maybe they, in Kansas City, guys. There, was there maybe the movie that's like outside of Kansas or something. I can't. Maybe the you know, law is still relatively a thing speaking. Elsewhere. It's it's rel- and this is no disrespect to people who live in kansas or kansas city or kansas city missouri that it's relative to other cities in america it's considered kind of a little you know it's, it's a little backwater look well, yeah a little here, bit here you know with with all disrespect to people who live in america, <laughs> uh no i'm just saying okay, they're like he's like it's one of the five major cities i'm like what happens to kansas city in 30 years right yeah <laughs> like the five big cities of america Right. What happened to San Diego? What happens to? <laughs> yeah. Like, who did you have to knock off? Where'd Miami go? <laughs> uh, Miami probably fell in the sea by that point. Uh, could be. Could be. Uh, <laughs> so this is a movie where Bruce Willis is trying. Huzzah. This is a question. Not even a question. <laughs> just a statement from Nicole in our docket. Yeah. It he's is. had a lot in recent memory where he was not trying. Yeah. I mean, this is something that. Ah, oh, bothers me so much. I mean, this is the primary difference I think between him 
and Nicolas Cage is that both of them work a lot and both of them work sometimes on pictures that are beneath them, let's say. <laughs> um, or, you know, they're very tiny or they're not all that interesting. And Nicolas Cage, for the most part, tries. You know, he puts he puts some of himself into it. There's a couple he sleeps walks sleepwalks through but for, you he know he's bunny in the basket yeah he puts the bunny in the basket <laughs> he, you know he's he's there and he's awake and he's listening to the director and you know bruce willis shows up and if he doesn't like the movie he's working on he's gonna be a pain in the ass and he's not gonna bring it and he's gonna be flat and he's gonna be boring to watch you can you can you can watch interviews and you can tell when he doesn't care about a movie by the way that he interviews for it. You know, yeah. you have other people who are like, they're still going to like, oh, I'm, I'm out here to put on my best face and still like try to promote this movie. If Bruce Willis does a movie he doesn't care about, in the interviews, he's just like, yeah, whatever. Bruce Willis. Yeah, like I still can't, like three of his most recent movies, First Kill, Airstrike, Acts of Violence, I can't differentiate them from each other. They all I look hadn't the even same. heard of the first two. <laughs> yeah, right. So these are these are movies that you look at his design. I'm not discography, though he has a he had. Oh, I want to yeah, talk we, about. Well, you know. We'll, okay. wait, we'll get we'll get to that. But I mean, the point I, I don't wanted know how to we're going to get to that, though. I love Bruce Willis music. Yeah. No. The point I'm I sure, wanted to ahead. make is is that it is so nice when Bruce tries. Yeah. And is bringing it because he can be an extraordinarily good actor when he's bringing it, you yeah. know, and he's, I don't know if I'd quite call this his a game. It's like his B plus game. He's right. bringing to this movie <laughs> and he has some really great scenes. Like the one where, um, you know, where it's like, like we say at the beginning, we spoil movies. There's a scene right after he kills one of the three children who might become, you know, the rainmaker, this guy who's going to wreak destruction and havoc in 30 years time. Um, right after he kills that first kid, you know, he's feeling horrible and disgusted with himself and starts collapsing. And then these memories begin to coalesce in his head of he and his wife having a baby, which he had not had before. You know, before he and his wife had been childless, but now that this first child is dead, he suddenly has memories of them having a child. You know, in this old memory of him with cuddling with his wife, you hear a baby cry in the background. And he starts getting, as, as this realization comes over him, you see him doing this acting where he's crying and he's covering his mouth and he's sort of doing this, bouncing around between joy and self-loathing for feeling that joy and horror and happiness and this whole mix of things on his face and it's just amazing yeah there is there is even even the, before he uh before he kills that kid uh there is like just this hesitation that he has that he totally sells where he's like you can read it on his face of like am i going to do this am i ready to cross this line you know, he's, he's kind of talking up the whole time, like, I'm here, I'm going to save her by any means necessary. But like, when it comes down to the nitty gritty, like, there's a moment where he's, he pauses. And he says he still goes through with it. But I think, yeah, that whole sequence is probably the, 
the strong, I mean, they say he does a good job throughout the movie, but that's where it's like, you're right. He is acting in that sequence in the film. There is, there is real uh, ethos there. And I don't think that his performance is the only really great performance in this movie. I put in our docket that this is the first time that I felt Joseph Gordon-Levitt as an action star. I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't really pin it in Inception. I could never pin it in The Dark Knight Rises. And I get it here. Like it finally, it took me a while to be able to see him in an action role and make it work for me. And this movie totally does that. And I think part of that is that he does have that, like I joke about Joseph Gordon babyface, but he has a very boyish look that has served him really well in a lot of his early movies, especially like, you know, the 500 days of sunshine, little indie movies. And it's hard to see him as a Hollywood, like rough and tough action star, but I kind of get it now. He's really good at it. Yeah. I, I wish he'd done some more. I haven't seen sin city Two because I have other things to do with my time. Um, <laughs> based on everything I've heard about that movie. Uh, He's great in Inception. Yeah. No, I mean, he's he's like, yeah, I wish he'd he'd done, you know, looking at his stuff since since this movie, he hasn't really done a lot that would be action-y. Premium Rush is a pretty good movie if you you want a good Joseph Gordon-Levitt flick. That was surprisingly good. I saw a lot of Joseph Gordon-Levitt movies in 2012. Dang. Uh, (laughs) The 50-50 made me cry like a baby. It's ridiculous. But yeah, he did. Uh, the, he did this movie. He did that the Sin City movie, but I don't know. And there, and he hasn't really done anything else without with any action since then. That's like after seeing this movie, I, I wish that maybe he not to say that he won't. He, you know, he's still young at mm-hmm. time, but we didn't get our damn Nighthawk movies, which is what I wanted. Nighthawk. Yeah, he was supposed uh, to be Nighthawk, which is like the alternate Robin. Oh, you're t- Nightwing. Oh, Nightwing. I'm sorry. And that's not alternate Robin. That's grown up Dick Grace. All right, look, we don't have time to get into <laughs> Actually, Nighthawk is a Marvel character. All right, I stand corrected. But we didn't get those movies. Like a, it was probably some 80s TV show or movie. <laughs> there was a movie with uh, Sylvester Stallone called Nighthawks, I think. Um, so. But yeah, we never got those, which I, oh man, I want to love that. Uh, put him back with a with Christopher Nolan and just make him the centerpiece, right? He's been a side piece in all of Christopher Nolan's other projects. Uh, he shows up in all of Ryan Johnson's movies, including Star Wars Episode Eight. Where, where is he in Star oh, Wars he Episode Eight? No, he is the voice of uh, Slow and Low, the guy who on Canto Bite is like, they, they parked their shuttle there. I told them they couldn't do that. Oh, is oh, he really? That is Gordon Levitt. Oh, right on. Okay, very good. Now, one thing that also made me very happy about Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie is I know that they did some oh, they did some prosthetic work on him, and he oh. spent a couple hours in the chair every morning to give him more of a Bruce Willis. Oh, it's face. so frustrating. It's close, but it's just not right. No so close. <laughs> no, I I know that, but but what I'm getting at actually is it's better than putting him in super old prosthetics. And having oh. him fight himself the whole movie, which a lesser movie would have done. A hundred percent. You absolutely right. Like I love it. I love it when a director is just like, you know what? They don't have to look exactly alike. Let's just get two really good actors. And uh, and granted, they, they get a cl- they get a close. They get a close. 
well, and I got to give it up to Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this movie because there are times where he does some real Bruce Willis facial expressions. Oh, he oh, gets totally. the mannerisms down. He gets them down so good. It's kind of ridiculous. It's like you just wish the the the, prosth- the prosthetics were just a little bit better. Yeah, they no, I love that. just a little too big and they didn't yeah. change the ears at all. And the eyebrows. Oh, the eyebrows. Oh, the eyebrows. It has like elfy ears. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I do love that they build this around Willis's mannerisms, right? Because he is the yeah. veteran. Oh, um, there's no way oh, Willis wasn't going to change for anybody. <laughs> he can't change for anybody. He's not going to do just <laughs> just put Levitt's side smile. Like he doesn't have it in him. No, no, he does not. Uh, though I do just really love the dynamic between the two of them when they do interact. Because what this is the first time I saw this movie. I genuinely thought for the first 45 minutes that they might barely interact in this movie, that this might just be them chasing one another. And it kind of is, but the interactions they do have are like this weird mix of charm and threatening that is just so lovely. (laughs) Yeah, they are each other, but they hate each other. Right. right and young young or uh, old Joseph Gordon Levitt's like kind of you can he's kind of pissed off that he can't just kill this kid who's bothering him because he right. needs him alive. but it, yeah just, he just wants him I just love like the frustration of like why don't you just no listen to me I'm you just do what I say for, and for my interests but then there's that whole question of like th- are they the same person Joseph Gordon Levitt now is having this experience that this Joe never had, and it's like that changes things so dramatic. Oh, it gets, gets crazy. Though I do love lines like that in the movie where you know he's trying to tell him, you know, you will give this woman all of your love, right? Like this woman will uh completely change you and make you a much better man. Um, and there's also really great lines in the movie delivered by my favorite surprise of this movie, Jeff Daniels which I did not know was in this movie. And I love Jeff Daniels with all my heart and soul. And he shows up in this movie as Abe. I love Abe. And there's a great scene just where Jeff Daniels is quintessential. Jeff Daniels telling Joseph Gordon-Levitt that he, he should not go to France. He should go to uh, China. I love, I love that little interaction. I'm from the future. Go to China. Right. And it just shows you how obstinate Joseph Gordon Levitt's character is when he's young. But he goes um, to China. <laughs> Though I think we do see, like, in the 30 years that he does get to live out, uh, because we do see very briefly the 30 years between when they when the two meet mm-hmm. and uh and if he had killed oh, him, right? Oh, yeah. so they the- show, I really love how they do that. They show you what had happened if the loop had gone correctly, if Joseph Gordon-Levitt had shot himself and discovered his, that it was him, him. And then, you know, what, what happened to get us to old Joe? Exactly. So the loop had gone correctly. Like we're basically creating an alternate timeline. Yes. Second time around. Um, So it had gone right the first time. And we see in those 30 years that like he went to France and there the world really seemed to go to hell in a handbasket in many ways. Like he was throwing Molotov cocktails through the windows and stuff. He never goes to France. Yeah. No, that's he in China. He that he's he to Shanghai. Yeah. Oh, okay. I was paying close attention. <laughs> what the hell, Abe? Okay. Um, but I do love, I do love that uh, Jeff Daniels is in this movie. It made me very, very happy. 
Yeah, he said this was the movie with like his favorite costume that he's ever worn it's a for a film. It's <laughs> a bathrobe. He said he was so comfortable. It was great. Yeah, we uh, we haven't talked about Emily Blunt in this movie at all, right? Because she's uh, top billing in the like she well she's in the top three bills, and they don't show her until like forty like the last forty five minutes of the movie, which is a great move. She uh, had read the first half of the script and signed on, had no idea who her character was. <laughs> <laughs> what you've read so far i was like yeah sure yeah uh, she's wonderful and and i love that the movie is not centered around like it's so easy with these movies to center the relationship around young young joe and sarah is that her name sarah yeah and her, yeah, her sarah son. it's so easy to do that and it even hints at it like it like plays fun with you right like he's trying to see his wife and the first time he sees his wife, but instead he's now seeing the new memory of, of Sarah slapping him awake. And for a second you think, wait, is this the new memory of his new wife? The first time he sees her. Cause that's the first time Joseph Gordon Levitt sees her. Actually, it's not. You can tell. I just watched this like three hours ago. It's <laughs> not I, even, I never got the, the sense that he loved Sarah. Um, obviously they have a, a connection and obviously they, they sleep together, which I actually really like that scene when they sleep together, because yeah. there's just something about the way of her, uh, the, the way that like her sensuality is expressed and her like desire is expressed. And like, she has complete agency over it in that scene that I think is really cool. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, this is a woman who has not gotten any booty in like three years. So yeah. <laughs> but then she gets it on her terms. Uh, I, I, I just, I really like that. It's not a love story with them. No. And there's a a connection, but it doesn't have time to become a love story. No. And other movies would have wasted the moment of like, uh, like he would have at some point been like, I love you. And then something tragic happens to him. Like, Oh yeah. That's what I love about it. Is that, is that a lesser movie would have done that. Or even more so, a lesser movie would have had him raising and reforming the Rainmaker, which I'm glad he doesn't do either. Yeah. So let's let's dig in some of our other discussion topics here. Uh, it starts off as noir and then it dips into action. It yeah, it, it has heavy. And I know Nicole you also had a note about the narration in there, but like the narration, the way that it starts out, it is a total noir film where you have your main character in voiceover explaining everything to you, which it's a crime story for a lot of it. It's it's mostly like a crime story. It is these concepts. Like he's, he's explaining all the lingo to us. Um, It is this well-informed world in that way. And then, you know, old, uh, old Joe shows up and it kind of from then on is, it's still a sci-fi thriller, but it's more, yeah, it's more of a thriller than it is like a crime story. Uh, also just want to note, I really like when they show us the old Joe interaction, when he uh, punches himself out, we see that in two different ways, one really close up and one from a distance, which is really cool. I can't think of a lot of movies that show us little moments like that from different angles. They usually would have just like shown everything from the same way we shot it again, but like sped up or something. Anyway. Yeah. starts out as noir and then kind of becomes just a, a thriller sci-fi th- action thriller from then on. Now, Nicole's note in the docket is in the end, 
uh, Joe dies at the end of this movie. Uh, how uh, whoa <laughs> how has joe been narrating to us all this time this is why i think even though the narration is economical in terms of screen time it's a mistake to use it yeah that was my question too is how is he giving us this ending spiel is it like in his head is he like having this realization in the moment before he dies yeah i don't know i don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I understand why it was this was my I mean, I love this movie. This was my single biggest issue with the I can movie. See how it could be, yeah. Yeah. When I'm I'm watching the movie in the theater, I am a hundred percent into it. I am totally engaged. I've bought into it. And he says, So I changed it and he shoots himself. And I'm like, Well, wait, then how did he tell us the story? He says, okay, changed it in the past tense. Oh, there's there's ghosts walking all around the movie. Just, <laughs> yeah, just ghosts. Apparently so. Although I have to say, I I do love that. I didn't realize until watching it again that that line, you know, how he saw, um, um, um baby rainmaker, uh, Sid. 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 He sees how Sid's life's gonna spin out and how it goes wrong, and so I changed it. And back, Jeff Daniels has this speech. Um, earlier in the film as he's trying to talk Joe into giving up Seth's hiding place because Seth doesn't kill his younger, his older self. He doesn't yeah, close he doesn't his close loop. Yeah. He lets the guy go. Um, so he says, you know, so he, he's going to talk to him and tell him a little story to to sort of wait him out. Um, so it's this talking about taking in young Joe when he was very little. He said, you know, this kid like an animal. He looked at me your hair stuck to half your face, just one eye looking at me. I could see, like seeing it happen on the TV, the bad version of your life. Like a vision, I could see how you'd turn bad. So hmm. I changed it. I cleaned you up and put a gun in your hand. I gave you something that was yours. You know, so he's, it's this, it's the same thing. It's, except in his case, you know, it's, it's a guy from the future. You know, I could see yeah. how you turned bad, so I changed it. Um, and then Joe is does the same for Sid. I yeah. find it more effective with um with Abe because I didn't need to see a alternate like vision of young Joe brooding on a box car. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's bad. <laughs> that is stupid. Um, he's Look. rooting on a box car. Where no, is he even getting, getting on a box Sid car? Rooting on a box car. That's, right. that's my point. That's my point. Is that is they that live Abe, by the railroad tracks? Just... They show you the railroad tracks in do they time yeah. in the movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it's just like the 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 image of this kid pouting on a box car as he like drives away from his dead family right. was just so cliche to me. That was the one scene in the movie where I was like, he could have just told me. He didn't need to show me. Look, as dumb as you might think that is, uh, this kid rips Garrett Dillahunt inside out. In oh my god, that scene, Brett. I'm sort of upset you haven't seen this movie in theaters because seeing that in theaters is insane. Oh, one of the coolest sequences. That was stunning. I've never seen anything like it. Oh, slow mo. Yeah, (laughs) apparently he told the effects guys it's like it. It can't be. It has to be really, it has to be bloody and destructive, but it also has, it can't be gory. It has to be kind of beautiful. So it's like a flower opening. 
And I love, I love Emily Blunt running for, cause you think, Oh, she's going to run and catch Sid. Oh no. She's, she's moving Joe out of the blast radius. Yeah. And she's not sure she's going to make it in time. That's on her face. Yeah. You know, she doesn't uh, know if she's going to be able to get him out of the house. Oh, it's such a cool sequence. Right. Yeah. Because one thing we were glossing over entirely is that there are TK's uh, telekinetics of varying abilities of strength that can levitate quarters. And that's Lighters. about it for the whole movie. Yeah. yeah. Until until this kid can apparently blow people up. Sarah, Sarah was shown and said to have a, a more advanced form of it. She had better control than other people. Right, she totally did. But so, then Sid was the next step where he had yeah, like exponentially greater powers than his mother. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, how do you raise, you know, this actually kind of reminded me a little of um, the book in the movie Firestarter. You know, it's like, how do you raise a kid who is unlike most of the mutants in like the X-Men universe where everybody gets their powers at puberty? You know, how do you raise a kid who's got these powers from birth, you know, an infant with no self-control and no, <laughs> excuse me, no sense of object permanence, no sense of real sense of cause and effect. They just know when they're hungry or hurt or upset and they're going to lash out at whatever's around them. And How lashing out. That kid? Yeah. And lashing out means like total destruction. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Do you guys buy it when the kid just decides to start calling his mom mom in the last two minutes of the movie? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I do. I, that kid is spooky good. He is. Yes. Yeah, He's very, spacking. very good. I think it's uh, it's one of those things where it's like he's been resisting for complicated reasons. And then uh, when it gets down to the moment of like, I'm hurt. I need someone. I need Sarah. I need my mom. He just well, he's also hurting his mom. So maybe that's yeah. part of it too, right? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. So speaking of the kids, I had a question here and I, I mean, you can infer whatever happened, but we see the first kid get killed by Bruce Willis. Because the answer to this. I know where it's going to be. That's okay. Go. No, yeah, please tell me the answer then. Um, so we see the first kid get killed by Bruce Willis because he's narrowed down three children that could potentially be the Rainmaker based on uh, information he's gotten in the future of their hospital code and their birthday. And only three kids were born in that hospital on that day. Now, the second kid, Bruce Willis, goes to kill, and it's actually the kid of one of his one of his friends or love it's interest, from, question mark. From the girl, uh, Piper Parabo's character, Susie that he like was sweet on in the club. Exactly. Yeah. Now her daughter is the Son. is the kid he's going to kill. And when he goes to kill the daughter, son. The kid's not there. Is it a son? Yes. Because yes, the rainmaker's a man. The rainmaker. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a little girl. Okay. Well, in any case, he goes to kill kill the son, and the son's not there. Instead, he's zapped and uh, and brought with the gats back to Abe. Yep. What happened to the second kid? Uh, presumably the kid's fine. With then why does he just go straight for the third kid and not go back to the second kid that he was in the middle of trying to get? Because two things are going to happen. Uh, my future self now knows that Sid is the rainmaker and he's on his way here. And so is the mob. Uh, because by that time, 
Joe had wit young Joe had witnessed that Sid had these abilities, so he knows that he's the rainmaker. And which means that old Joe also knows this and would Oh. Oh, so you're saying you're saying that as young Joe is rewriting old Joe's past, that old Joe is cognizant enough of the memories that are being created. Old Joe says, I know what you do after you do it. Oh, that's interesting because I almost got a vibe in parts of the movie that he was only getting like glimpses of this stuff because I mean, there are parts of his future that or parts of his past that still could have happened, right? Like well, his wife. I mean, yeah, he is, but think, how well? Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think about what you can remember from five years ago. You know, mm-hmm. you can remember significant moments like discovering this kid is the rainmaker. Uh, but yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna remember. Joe walking, you know, your younger self look, walking down the street and seeing a street sign, you know. Yeah, yeah. The movie just plays it like he has these moments where he like covers his face and he's getting flashbacks of being slapped in the face by Sarah. And those are, don't seem like significant moments, but rather just like he's getting flashes of this past as it's rewriting. But I suppose that makes a lot of sense. If he if he is aware of the fact that the Rainmaker is Sid, then I guess that makes sense why you would just skip the second kid. Yeah. Okay. That's fine. I can buy that. No reason for extra murder. (laughs) I can buy that. Uh, Speaking of extra murder is ending your own loop suicide. I wanted to talk about that because like, I get, is it? Sure. Of course it is. Yeah. You are ending your life. That is, you're just doing it in, I guess you could think of it as like super slow-mo. Like if you put a gun to your head and pulled it and the, the bullet will travel super slow or something. But then the bullet, not the bullet, the person that you're holding the, the gun to slowly becomes a different you based on what you're changing in their past. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about earlier, that is, is old Joe really young Joe as young Joe starts changing all of his past. I don't think he's the way that the the young Joe that we see would actually turn out. It doesn't seem like to me, it seems like his personality, especially once he meets Sarah and Sid. Um, and has met his old self that there are things that are changing in him. He's kind of softening in some ways. He's, uh, struggling with, you know, moral, quandaries you know at one point when he realizes when he first realizes Sid is the rainmaker young Joe goes stomping off into the cane field uh, yeah. to find him and could have killed him at, when he came upon him because Sid was uh, upset and um, like sort of collapsed in on himself sitting down with his head on his knees and not paying attention and Joe could have killed him really easily and doesn't and instead he you know he lets the kid hug him and so this is something that's you already see that he's different from old joe he won't go to the same lengths that old joe will to preserve the the timeline the way that he that old joe wants it to be yeah he also doesn't have the things to lose that old joe has yeah right not yet it's very hard to think of you know saving the life of your future wife in the abstract whom you haven't met yet 
Right. Now, because the way this movie ends, uh, we we actually haven't mentioned it because I know there still are some folks who have who will have held out and have not seen the movie that no, are listening. The fact that he kills himself. Right, but he kills himself to to stop his older self from killing Sid. Yeah, oh, with a shotgun right to the heart. Oof. Yeah. A blunderbuss, thank you. Yeah, blunderbuss, yeah. A blunderbuss. Also, also a great album by Jack White. Yeah. <laughs> the first solo record. Yeah. Um that was that I didn't expect that at all. <laughs> Just going into this the first time. That made me really sad because I kind of did as much as I joke about like the reforming the rainmaker from childhood, I was kind of hoping this could end in some way for him. That wasn't death. Right. But I, at the end, at the end of the day, I don't know how else it can end. I mean, it can work, right? Because they can't exist together. Well, everybody's dead back at the, you know, at the, the mob front of the nightclub, everybody back there is dead. So there's nobody to hunt young Joe down now. Right. Which is that yeah, old Joe's like, take this truck, go, just get out of here. But it's yeah, it it is it's a happy ending, right? In a way, but it's also got all this tragedy attached to it. Yeah, it's and you gotta wonder if he had just taken that truck and gone, then he would just continue to rewrite old Joe's past, which would just make mm -hmm. everything more of a cloud and more of a cluster F for old Joe. Does, is old Joe's plan to kill himself when this is all over? That's the only way I see. Otherwise, he just turns into, I imagine, just like a vegetative state of not understanding his past. I think he thinks that there's some fate to it that he thinks like, oh, he'll still go out there and he'll, he'll meet her. You Actually, know. no, I'm sorry. I think doesn't old don't we specifically hear from young joe that old joe thinks he'll just disappear once the rain man oh once the rainmaker's gone yeah he's, well not the rain you're right, you're right. once <laughs> once sean penn is dead <laughs> i have killed sean penn in the year 2044 uh no you're right he thinks that once he kills him he'll just disappear that is he'll that. just disappear because there is no one then to to start closing all the loops because the rainmaker does begin to close all these loops all right, that makes sense. This is one of those movies where you have to talk it out. You do. And David, you put in our docket, are you able to just go with the flow as the movie would like you to, or do you get caught up in it? In uh, can you kind of, yeah, can you kind of describe what you mean by that? that so like this movie, kind of as we talked about earlier, the, the time travel, you know, when you cut off your hand in the present, your future self is not a hand, but your future self presumably did a bunch of stuff in life that needed that hand that led them to this moment to have a hand. Uh, it's like when they're cutting up uh, old Paul Dano as, you know, they're removing. Oh, my God. That scene is so disturbing. So, <sighs> yeah, it's it's, it's, it's it's as soon as he loses the nose, the whole thing, you're just like, no. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's like, you know, he had to have gotten through life with legs to lead himself to that moment, presumably. Uh so you can, you could get here. We could sit here and argue about like, oh, time travel. That's not the real way to do it. No, the real way is primer. It's like, ah, just get get really upset about like it's not accurate. Are you able to speak? All right, it's time travel. It's gonna be weird and and kind of dumb at times. Let's just let it be. And as long as it's not egregious, let's just let it be part of the narrative structure and enjoy it. Yeah, nothing's outrageously stupid to me uh, where that's where I get tripped up in a lot of science fiction tropes is when it is like aggressively cliche and this is not so I yeah I, 
Yeah, I mean the one that the one that I chew over is like, okay, so young Joe kills himself, which means that old Joe never comes back, which means uh, that young yep. Joe never needs to kill himself. We get into paradoxes. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's continuing branching timelines, right? Also, um, as long as we're talking about poor Paul Dano, who I was so excited when I saw was in this movie and he was just ripped for me too soon. Um, though he is great in this movie for as long as he's in it. Yes. Why would they write on his arm? Come here, right? And give an address because they want old Paul Dano who's on the run to come to this address. And then they start dismembering him. They start taking off the fingers. They take off the nose and then they start going for the limbs. Why do they want him to come to that address? They can kill him. But why won't why them just kill young Paul Dano? Because they can't kill young Paul Dano because that changes the timeline too much. Uh, Jeff Daniels says that. But we, I guess so, but Joseph, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character, young, young Joe at the end of the movie, purposely wants to change the timeline, correct? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that's why he can do it. Yes. Uh, no, they're not saying they can't kill young Paul Dano. It's they don't want to because that changes things too much. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things where it's like, okay, so after they're done doing that, do they reattach all of Paul Dano's limbs? Yeah, and, I was about to say. What, like, we don't actually where, know he's dead. That's where the time travel gets like, what for me in this movie? <laughs> where it's like, either that's either the point where either you have to just let it go or you have to be like, this is dumb. Yeah, we see him lose his, his legs and, and fingers and nose, but... We don't actually see young Paul Dana. Does he have to go through the next 30 years of his life? That's what I want to know. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was that's what I was assuming. And that like as these, you know, body parts are are disappearing off of old Seth, that old Seth is also suddenly getting the memories of having lived the last 30 years without these body parts and what that was like and the the horror that gets added into whatever what's already happening but then how does old seth get to where he is as an escaped exactly well yeah right? see, as another paradox there you go yeah yeah no but i'm willing to forgive all that <laughs> i think i think it's great and i've i've dropped it i know i mentioned it on the show before um but paul dano love and mercy mm, really good really good it's one of those biopic oh, roles yeah. where yeah, it's one of those biopic roles where you're like, wow, this is that person. I mean, look, is there anything? I honestly can't think of any movie that I've seen Paul Dano in where I didn't think he was. Oh, take that back. Okja. Okja was not. Uh, yeah, I've heard not great things about he's, that. He's not, he's not, you know, he's doing the best he can, question mark, in that movie. But typically, <laughs> Paul Dano, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that guy's great. Love him. It's that guy still from uh, from uh, the, the Little Miss Sunshine. Always will be, I think. See, I always think of him as, uh, what, No Country for Old Men? Uh, there will be blood. Or There will be blood. I was confused. Daniel. Too. Daniel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's great in this movie. I'm sad he dies. But, wow, this movie, is it a future classic? Let's let's wrap down. Is Nicole, I mean, well, David, we got your argument for why you think it is. Yep. Nicole, do you think yeah. it is? Well, I mean, I... I'm with I'm with the director here, you know, from from his commentary. He says no time travel in any movie ever makes sense. It's complete balderdash. Yeah. It's a matter of tricking the audience into believing it makes sense. So I think he pulls that trick off for the most part in this movie. There's going to be little things, of course, that nag at you. But 
Um, otherwise, I like I said, when I saw this movie in the theater in 2012, I was completely enthralled and sucked in and, you know, found the world completely believable, found the time machine completely believable. It's it's they make it look like primitive yet powerful you know the glimpse you get of it apparently he he based it on the gadget the uh, the first bomb that was detonated at the trinity test site um and uh you know it's that's believable the way the crime syndicates work is believable um the future tech is is believable and so i'm i'm sucked in and watching the characters and believing that they're living in this world and dealing with these you know, slightly different issues that we don't have in our world, but maybe we could. Hmm. And I thought he carried it off tremendously and it's great performances almost all the way around. You know, Bruce Willis is doing a really good job. Emily Blunt's bringing it and Joseph Gordon-Levitt's doing a fantastic, uh, putting in a fantastic performance. And Pierce Gagnon as Sid is like scary good you totally believe he's this telekinetic kid um who is also like frighteningly smart as well um so yeah yeah i mean i i had this on my future classics list as well so uh david took it from me as an option for the next <laughs> another pick i've got to find i had to go find some other stuff to add to the list yeah for me this falls into a category of a film that I believe is a future classic, but I probably won't bring to our table because we did it on our previous show, which is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, and I mean that in the sense of Mad Max Fury Road, I watched it and I said, wow, that's a totally different variation on ideas that I might be a little bit familiar with, but goodness, did that take me to a place I've never been and did that write a story that was incredibly unto itself and not terribly derivative and uh which i think mad max even further along in that capacity in some ways because it's a sequel um or at least a reboot i and sequel's not fair it's a reboot um it's a sequel sort of i guess but we have like a, a mad sequel max in a reimagined universe sure yeah so but i think this movie does that I came yeah. in the first 10 minutes of this movie when we have that noir voiceover explaining what the loopers are and how they have to close their loops and all this stuff. I'm just thinking, this is so cool. This is totally unlike anything I've ever seen before. It reminded me a ton of watching like John Wick for the first time. And I was like, I've, I've seen these pieces before, but I've never seen them put together like this. Um, hint at a future classic hint. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think it's great. I, as someone who just saw this once, I'm fairly confident in saying that at least in the action, in the action sci-fi realm, uh, this is going to be one of those movies that I hope tons of people go back and look at, especially after years and years of success of Ryan Johnson, because uh, we're just at the beginning of that. So I loved it. David, great pick. Thank you. Yay. Yay. Next week, we're going to visit train to busan so be sure to check that out uh nicole where can people find you online you can find me watching over our facebook page at facebook.com slash movie go around podcast you can find me on 
letterboxd i need to go update that it's been a little while um under nicole underscore davis um i don't tweet very much anymore so i'm not gonna throw the twitter address out there that's pretty much it right on very good what about you david uh, you can find me on the Brokebot Mountain Podcast with Phil Rude, and you can also find me around the internet under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z, so Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, and eh, Twitter and Instagram, not really on Snapchat anymore. But anyway, find me those places. Very good. My name is Brett Stewart. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart, two T's and S-T-E-W on Stewart, and that'll lead you to all my other stuff over there. Just go find me over there. Everything's there. That'll do it for myself, David Nicole. We are back next week with Train to Busan. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.